Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy. This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company. For more information and links to all our great podcasts, visit HartmanMedia.com. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur whose owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show. This is your host, Jason Hartman, episode number 952-952. Today we have part two with my mother and our client, Drew Baker. They're actually both clients. My mom is actually a client, just so you know. She is the extreme do-it-yourselfer, and Drew has, uh, I believe, 10 properties now, uh, in addition to his own home, with property managers. I take a middle ground on this, as you know. I think the hybrid approach is the best approach. I do want to mention two areas of potential danger and pitfalls in this, uh, as if I haven't pointed out enough in this. I do think the hybrid approach is a good idea for many people, not all people. Uh, you've got to have some experience and you can get some experience by beginning your investment career, having property managers and learning from them what they do well, what they do poorly, etc. Just a couple of pitfall areas. Number one, occasionally you will have difficulty with insurance for self-managed properties. Insurance companies, you know, they feel the kind of safe one-size-fits-all benefit or situation is to just have a professional property manager, and uh, sometimes they require that to get a certain rate. So your rates might vary and companies might vary based on whether or not you're self-managing. That's one thing I don't know if I pointed out in this interview. I, I do want to point that out. So check that carefully. You know, make sure that you are always, when you have an insurance policy, you are filling out applications correctly, telling your insurance broker the correct things, and you're not misleading them in any way, okay? So that's obvious. Goes without saying, should go without saying at least. And then the other thing is um, the most tender and I guess risky part of this is the turn. Uh, I believe it's the turnover. I, I think collecting rent on a monthly basis is actually quite easy. Um, a lot is made that it's a big deal. Uh, I've never found it to be any big deal in all the times I've self-managed over the years. I find that to be the really the easy part. The tenant turn is the more difficult part, and that's where you've got to pay attention. You've got to make sure you hire a property manager on an a la carte basis or a real estate agent on an a la carte basis 
and you've got to really hold them accountable and make sure they're doing the things. They meet with the tenant who's departing, they check the property, they send you photos, they do the final walkthrough as they move out. You make sure the utilities are on in between. If it's a cold climate, and you may need to consider winterizing the house, pay attention to that. That's another area where, you know, you could have a pipe break or something like that. Look at, I know we're talking about all these complexities and difficulties, but look, income property is the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. You got to know what you're doing a little bit. You got to pay attention. You know my philosophy. There's no such thing as a passive investment. So, you know, just learn a few things, pay attention to a few things, and you'll be fine, okay? It's the most historically proven asset class in the world. It's a multi-dimensional asset class where you earn return in many ways versus uh, the Wall Street, the modern version of organized crime on Wall Street where they're skimming all the profits off the top and all of the other pooled money investments out there, income property, the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. So that said, note the things that I'm mentioning. So be careful on the turn. Ideally, you're hiring a property manager to do a la carte, lease up, and walkthroughs in and out and things like that between tenants. But the best thing is to keep your tenants for a long time. And when you self-manage, a lot of times you can do that more effectively than you can with a property manager. And we've talked about that over the years. If you're a member of our JHU, you can find out about that at jasonhartman.com. And uh, if you're a member of that, we have a couple of conference calls where we go in in depth on self-management. And we've talked about this many times over many years. There are prior podcasts on it as well. So here we are with another one. Today is part two. So we will dive into that. By the way, next week, we've got some exciting shows coming up for you. Also flashback Friday tomorrow. But next week, we're going to talk about slicing pie as it applies to real estate investors, how you can equity share and share profits in uh, income property investments with partners and do it very effectively using this wonderful methodology called slicing pie. We had the uh, founder of the slicing pie methodology speak at our Venture Alliance Mastermind event in Chicago a few months back. It was quite interesting. So we're going to talk about it as it applies to income property. I think you'll like that. That's coming up next week, as well as a bunch of other great stuff. And uh, remember, for the Ice Hotel trip, we got a couple more spots left. Venture Alliance and non-Venture Alliance members are eligible for this trip. The information on that is at jasonhartmanicehotel.com. I know it's a long domain name, jasonhartmanicehotel.com. That's the world-famous ice hotel in Sweden. This is a bucket list once-in-a-lifetime trip. So uh, consider joining us. Check it out, jasonhartmanicehotel.com. We've also got our San Jose uh, Jason Hartman University event, JHU Live, in San Jose on March 3rd. Check that out at jasonhartman.com. And uh, let's go to part two of hybrid property management. Here we go. So mom, more about how you deal with tenants on an ongoing basis. I mean, rent collection problems, repair problems, those are the things people are concerned about. What else do you want to share? Well, I have some people, which again, if it's Los Angeles, I get all of these vendors from the Apartment Owners Association. 
they just have hundreds of vendors. And they know you're not dealing with Miss Little Housewife who stays home, teaches, and bakes cookies. They know that because you're part of the Apartment Owners Association that you are going to get a better price. And if you don't get a better price, you simply turn around and call the Apartment Owners Association and tell them about it. So there's painters, there's electricians, there's plumbers, there's everything. And that is very, very helpful to me for the properties that are in Southern California. Otherwise, you simply have to go online. And I also get telephone books, which is kind of like um, ancient things that nobody uses anymore. (laughs) But if they aren't online, you always can look in the yellow pages and find people. Again, you just make those 10 phone calls and you get the good price. It's a lot cheaper to have a lot of people come to you and give you bids rather than you taking oh, three bids and trying to get a decent price. Yeah, right. So you, you get a lot of people out to make to many phone calls. Yeah, you get a lot of people out to that property. Now, here's the other self-managed, two things I want to say. Number one is, you know, we obviously don't recommend investing in overpriced Southern California, but these are properties that you bought, you know, decades ago, so you still own them, and I haven't convinced you to sell them on 1031 exchanges yet and buy 20 more properties. Uh, So that's one thing. We've talked about that on other shows, so we won't go into it here. But the other part that's interesting is that the tenant, when it's occupied, you're referring to the tenant turnover in between tenants and the make ready. But when the property is occupied, the tenant does the work for you. It's amazing to me. Like, I have literally had tenants in my self-managed properties call me and say, hey, the air conditioning isn't cooling. It's not coming out cold anymore. And I already called and I got a couple of bids on fixing it. And I said, well, just email them to me. And I'm like, they're doing my work for me. It's incredible. They're at the property. I mean, the nice thing about not living near your properties is you can't go over and meet anybody. So the tenant or the real estate agent or the property manager hired for a la carte services during the tenant turn, or even not, will help you do that. One of the things I've done effectively, and I know my mom has, is I've used local service providers like realtors and property managers to just do things for free. Because remember, you're a potential customer for them. They want your business. They'll go over and take a look at your property. Mom, I remember uh, I was with you one time when you were on the phone with a realtor who was going to look at your property for you and tell you if the tenant had moved, like you didn't hear from the tenant, you didn't get the rent. And so you asked this realtor to go over there and the realtor saw the tenant and handed her cell phone to your tenant. They were like in the driveway or something. You know, talk about that a little bit. They, I idea of getting people to help you out, local people. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember that too much, but I do remember the tenant taking or the it, it was the Bassett Avenue house. Yeah. Cell phone. yeah. But, uh, you know, lots of times I will ask a realtor if I am having, I haven't had problems uh, lately for quite a long while, as a matter of fact. But sometimes when you're doing an eviction, you have to know if that tenant has left or not because you don't want to travel there you know, until. And so I'll just ask a realtor to go by and take a look and see if the tenant is still living there or not. And of course, that realtor is quite happy to do so because she thinks she'll get a listing to sell the house 
or at least she'll get a listing to rent the house for you. Right, right. And so there's a whole army of people out there that are more than willing to help you and provide services to you, some for a fee and some for free, just as a goodwill gesture to uh, try and get business. Okay, so talk to us about evictions a little bit. When a tenant goes bad, I want you to talk about retaining tenants, because you have your tenants stay a long time in your properties, mom. And then that, and the best thing is to retain them, of course, and to not have a lot of turnover. But the uh, second thing is to handle evictions well if they turn out to be deadbeats. Talk to us a little bit about that, if you would, and how you handle those things. Okay, well, if the rent is not there on the first, I have a process server for $35 do a three-day notice to pay rent or quit. And you don't have to wait the three days if you have one of those terrible clauses, you know, not late until five days. The first day that the rent is not there in your bank account, you uh, email that form or fax that form to the process server and have that processor service. Okay. That makes your tenant know that you are are on top of everything. Absolutely. And once they get that legal notice, that attitude changes almost magically. Yep. <laughs> Good. If you don't get that rent mm-hmm. within three days, just start the eviction. Because you know what? A bad tenant will only get worse and worse and worse. Right. So it's imperative that you get that tenant out as soon as possible. The concept being, you know, you've all heard it with, like, if you have children or pets, if you give an inch, they take a yard, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that might work on paper. I don't know how that works in practicality. You know, if somebody, I know everybody, the dog ate their homework, but, you know, sometimes things in life happen where somebody lost their job and they need a little bit of flexibility. I have maintained a new philosophy that it's zero tolerance. It's an impersonal thing. I'm going to have to just go through I need to do what makes sense for me. And it's not constantly making exceptions, but Joyce, is there any flexibility? Because I think when you have a more direct line of communication with the tenant and you're being, you know, friendly and trying to make them happy as a tenant since they're your, you know, they are your customer. customer your, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you can't just kick them to the curb in every situation, but I don't know if you have any flexibility or, or what, how your approach is, because my issue with the property ma- doing it self-management style is that if you now have a relationship with the tenant, is it awkward at all to raise the rent on them? Because that now feels like you have this relationship that now you're sort of... Yeah, we get it. Good question. Good question. Being shrewd, you know, mm-hmm. how does it feel? So Got it. I'm not, maybe that's like 10 questions in one, but give me your thoughts. Let me tee that up a little bit. It's counterintuitive, Drew. It's the opposite a lot of times because the tenant has the pressure of pleasing you of maintaining a relationship with you when it's some third-party property management company man they're just taking all they can get they're going to ask for everything and object to everything when they have to maintain that relationship with you personally They want to be careful. They want to maintain a good relationship with their landlord. Uh, Go ahead, Mom. Okay, uh, Drew, there are certainly cases, and especially if that tenant has been there for a long time, that you are certainly going to cooperate with that tenant. What I'm talking about, if that, this is with a new tenant, 
And if that rent isn't there, like within, say, the first six months that they're in your house, okay, you send that three-day notice to pay rent mm-hmm. or quit via process server immediately. And pretty soon, you're going to train that tenant to have that rent there on or before the first day of the month, okay? That's really important with a brand-new tenant. But when a tenant has been living in your house for six years or two years, and things do happen, okay? So definitely, you're going to give some consideration to that tenant. I'm just talking about, say, you get rid of your property manager, (laughs) (laughs) and all of a sudden the tenant doesn't pay his rent. Right. So um, the first six months are really critical. That's the probationary period. And how you deal with that tenant. Yeah, you set the tone. You've got to train them up to your standard. You've got to set the tone. Yeah, what I do like about kind of the approach is that you're sort of training your tenant. Because I think the issue that I have with uh, the property manager is, even though, Jason, it sounds like you have a great property manager in Florida, I find it very hard to teach an old dog new tricks. These property managers, oh, in my opinion, they have their box, and yep. if it doesn't fit in it, they yeah. just are like totally, not Totally, totally so agree. Totally I, agree. Yeah. So to both of your point, I think a tenant is much more flexible than a property manager. I agree. And the property manager will lie to you, or shade the truth at least sometimes, and act like it's the tenant demanding something when it's really them because you're, you don't have a direct line of communication. The other thing I wanted to say a few minutes ago about that concept is that when you make it the responsibility of your tenants to deposit the money in your bank account, you got to have a national bank account, obviously, you know, with a big national bank, but there's other ways they can do it. Cozy, you know, there are other th- options too. When you make it their responsibility to do that every month, you are on top of it. You are attached to it very directly. And you know, the first is the first. A property manager will, you know, send you the rent on the 20th after the check clears and they process the payment. And sometimes the property manager is late and one property manager does one thing and another does another thing. And it just gets all confusing. The way my mom does it, it's clear. The first is the first. There's 12 times a year that you're going to look online and look at your account and make sure those deposits are there. And that's the end of the discussion. It's just really clear. Jason, look at three or four of my tenants now regularly deposit on the 20th or, <laughs> before, um, yeah. you know, any time before the first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny because I was really kind of happy with one of the property managers because they promptly deposited on the first. And what I realized was they were depositing the prior month. month. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, there is, there is something to be said about that. Now, Joyce, how do you handle, you know, raising the rent when, you know, you've now had kind of a personable experience with the renter and do you build that expectation in early or how does that work? Because, you know, one of the properties I have, I've had a tenant, they've been great for five years, never complain. And I was a little leery about raising the rent because I hadn't done so. And you've never raised the rent in five years. Well, my my mentality, well, you know, if you pull comps comps in the neighborhood, you know, it's not like rents have gone bananas. And there is an argument that, you know, I mean, I think when at at the master's event, meeting master's, which was great, I think one of the property managers was talking about, you know, the reasons why tenants leave. 
And one of them is for, you know, they find something cheaper. Now I'm not saying you should never raise the rent in five years. That was a mistake on my part because I wasn't a hawk. But, you know, I'm not sure on your end, as far as self-managing and in general, you know, how do you set up that expectation? And what if you you haven't raised the rent, let's say, in in a five-year period or a few years? Like, is it too late to do that? Tell me what you think. Okay, Drew, (laughs) there's a good chance you might lose that tenant if you haven't raised the rent in five years when finally you decide to do that. Because, again, you have to train your tenant to your way of doing business, like they've got to have the rent there the first day of the month. And then, look, every year your taxes get raised. Every year your insurance costs more money. And you know what? you're always going to have to spend some money on a hot water heater, a new refrigerator, a toilet, or whatever, okay? So you have to have some money paid into that. You have to give a raise once a year. There's just no question. But the way I do it is I go on to Zillow and to Trulia, and I look and see what the rentals are for the area. And if you can't decide yourself call a local real estate agent and ask them or call two or three of them so you get a really good idea as to what the price should be. Now, your property manager doesn't ever want to raise the rent because they don't want to have to go to the hassle of finding a new tenant. That's interesting. And we've had we've had the debate about that before as to whether or not that is the motivation that you just outlined. always do a lower rent. Right. Or... The motivation is to raise the rent too high so that the tenant leaves so they can charge you a lease-up fee again. And I don't know what's true. Nobody really does because nobody knows what's in anybody else's head. But I'll tell you something. When you self-manage, you remove any of those kind of conflicts of interest. It's you're going direct. Go ahead, Drew. I want to throw a real-life scenario that happened with me, and I think it's kind of a, to the point of the conversation. I had a property and the tenant was unhappy with the management company, I think over late fees or they weren't getting what they wanted. So somehow they managed to find my information. I still don't know how they did. I asked them and I didn't get a clear answer, maybe through the county recorder's office. Oh, yeah, I, I they can know, they can find it. It's big data, man. It's they easy. Found, you can find they anything. Called, they yeah. called me. Yeah, they called me and said, hey, we're unhappy. We've had this issue and the property manager isn't getting back to us. So they're charging me a late fee. What do I do? Blah, blah, blah. So I kind of became this like party now added to the mix. So one day it was Thanksgiving. Okay. And it was the night of Thanksgiving. The ceiling fan had fallen off the roof when it was uh, off the ceiling. Oh, I never heard of that. Drywall, okay. All the drywall, all the insulation, everything oh. had just dumped in their master bedroom. Wow. I mean, I'll oh send you the photos, Jason. It I, was a huge... I, I never heard of something like that. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Wow. Yeah. Well, apparently the builder or the person doing the rehab did not use the correct drywall screws or something, and there was some sort of issue in that regard that was not, you know, was obviously impossible to know. Before so what's the question? What's the question? Yeah. go. So the question is, it's Thanksgiving. This has fallen onto the tenant's master bedroom. It broke their TV. And, you know, they said that their wife was afraid and all this stuff. And I'm sitting here having to deal with this, you know, looking at a Thanksgiving dinner going, I don't even know what to do. The question is, is like, 
now when I talked to the property management company, they had, you know, hey, we'll get somebody out there, we'll fix it. The tenant is like, hey, how much are they charging you? I could have my uncle do this and oh, who's going to fix my TV? And it just became this real weird situation where they wanted to well, that's their, that's insurance. You know, the TV is insurance. That's an insurance claim for the TV, at least, if not the ceiling fan, too. But uh, the TV is definitely an insurance. You know, that's their insurance first and yours second. I can answer that one for you. Okay. 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 That was taken care of. But I guess the so they want to have their uncle do the job and they're trying to bargain with you. And, you know, when you have a property management, they're hiring someone real. That's not part of the that doesn't fit in the box. So if the tenant is trying to kind of cut corners and, you know, I don't know how to deal with that. How do you, do you just tell you know, them? Drew, hey, we... The first thing I think, because you, you have that property management company, that has got to be their responsibility for fixing it. I wouldn't deal with a tenant because you don't know the tenant from Adam. You right. have no clue if they're responsible people, if the guy is a real good handy guy. You have no clue because you've never met them and you've had no relationship with them. So you've got to let that property management company handle that problem. And then I would get rid of that property management company. Yeah, well, my, my question, well, my, my, my hypothetical was more like, this is your home, this happens to you, you don't know their work, and they're trying to bargain with you, and my uncle can do the work for cheaper than this other person I had in to do the bid, you know. The and, question is that I don't know that tenant, and so I can't trust yeah, you can't. them yeah. to do that. Yeah. Because you may have a bigger mess on your hands. That's another reason for self-management, so there you go. Because then you'll know the tenant, you'll know who you're dealing with. I mean, my Aunt Joan, who was, of course, a, another speaker at Meet the Masters, you know, she's got, I think, now like 80 properties or so, and has always self-managed everything. But, you know, admittedly, what my mom is doing and what Aunt Joan is doing is kind of old school, but... I think there's a lot to be said for it. I think, folks, look, we got to wrap up. We've been talking for a long time here. But the point is, I really believe that the hybrid approach is the thing to do. You have someone help you, a property manager or a real estate agent, a la carte services, just to do the lease up. Here's what they do again. Let me just say this, okay? Because we've gone into a lot of this that you don't need to do while you're listening. They, they handle meeting the old tenant. They do a walkthrough of the property. They send you a bunch of photos. They help you determine what to give back and what to keep from the old tenant's security deposit. Then, if any rent-ready stuff needs to be done, and hopefully it doesn't, but if it needs to be done, they line up the repair people, the painter, the whatever, and they have them get the house ready. And then they do the marketing for the new tenant. They screen them, and they're responsible for all of this, and then they lease it up, and they transfer the keys over, and they, by the way, they also give you pictures of, of the house before it's delivered to the new tenant, so that you have pictures to see that everything was now fixed, right? And then the new tenant, when the next rent is due on the first of that following month, they pay you directly. This is the best system, if you ask me, okay? And, you know, I don't do it with all of my properties. I do it with some. But oddly, 
these tenants, they just don't bug you like everybody thinks. One thing I do want to close with, we didn't get to the tenant retention question, although Drew asked a little bit about increasing rent. And mom, you said that you train people to expect rent increases, which I think is a very good policy. Even if it's a small rent increase, get them in the habit of knowing every year there's a rent increase. Okay. But the longest tenant, and we've talked about this on the show before you've ever had in one of your properties is the guy that's been there since 19. 89. I mean, he could have bought the house by now. His mortgage would be paid off, right? But you've had some other tenants that stay a long time. What is your average tenancy before you do a turnover? And what are some of your other like long tenants, mom? How long have they stayed? I think five, six, seven years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty typical. There's typical. one area in the Valley where it's the lower class of a tenant. And during the 2008, 9, 10, uh, 11 years, I had turnover because tenants lost their jobs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they were, they they were moving down. Rent, yeah, and right. I had evictions. Uh-huh, okay. Do you think that this style that you have, does it change at all? Or do you have a, would you have a different approach if it were an A-class neighborhood versus a C-class neighborhood? Or, Jason, do you recommend... Do you think that you might have better success in a more affluent area than you would dealing with people that are maybe in a little bit more of a lower economic status? What, what do you think about that? Affluence misnomer. I mean, you know, A and B properties are generally the easiest to manage. C and D properties are harder. But go ahead, Mom. What's your answer? I think one of the things that you learn when you do the lease up is if the person is handy or what kind of work he does. And sometimes that counts for a lot. Or just, um, I have a uh, tenant in Northport, and a lot of things went wrong with that house because it was a really cheap builder. And she was a very intelligent woman, and she'd get estimates, or she'd have her ex-husband do the work. And because she was smart and she was good, I trusted her with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And she saved me money. But that only comes with knowing that tenant. Amazingly, the tenant will do a lot of this work for you. And I don't mean that they're necessarily swinging the hammer, okay? But sometimes they are. I mean that they will meet the repair people. They will screen them. They will get some quotes for you. They will save you a lot of time. I mean, I've had tenants call around and find the best vendor for me. I'll end up paying for the thing, but they'll say, hey, I I think I found you the best deal on this repair or that repair, and this I can do myself. You know, they're trying to get brownie points with you. They're trying to get like extra credit sometimes and, you know, make you know they're a great tenant. And, you know, they want to help you out. They got to maintain that relationship. When you have the property manager in the middle, it's not that way. It's different. So, look, let's wrap it up. We, we've we been going on very long. This is I, well, I have, I have a, okay. my last question okay. is right. really important. I want to know, Jason, would you want your mom to be your, your landlord? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joyce, Joyce, would you want, would you want Jason to be your tenant? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't mind if I if I didn't know him as my son. So I had to ask. Sorry. Oh, that's funny. Because he makes a lot of money <laughs> and he could afford my rent raises. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, that's funny. That's a funny question. But the point is, look at if you have a great property manager, they can be worth their weight in gold. A great property manager is great, but a mediocre or a lousy property manager, you know, you might want to consider the self management. I'm not saying it's for everybody. It 
is for some people. If nothing else, you learn some stuff from uh, this. We're going to have to split this into two episodes because this interview is so long. But um, I just want to thank uh, Drew and my mom. Thank you so much, you guys, for sharing yeah, some of this stuff. You. Yeah, go ahead. Can I just say something to Drew? Sure. You know, Drew, if you have five properties in, say, Indianapolis or something. He's got Memphis, six there and four in Memphis. Yeah. Okay. You know, you might really consider just totally self-managing because you could go there. When I have to re-rent a house, if it doesn't work for one tenant, they always say, well, do you have anything more in the area? Do you have any more houses? And in Moreno Valley, I've got four houses. So if another house is up for rent, you know, I can show them that house. So that becomes a real good point for you. You would know that neighborhood. You'd begin to know all of the good vendors and you just might want to just do it. Let me, let me say something about that. This is a strategy I've talked about. See, when you make the mistake like I did of over diversifying, you don't have that. If you're going to buy, or you already have, you know, 20 properties or 30 properties, say that's your, your portfolio goal at this point, right? Don't over diversify. If you can get 10 in each of three cities, you're going to have that, what I call the pinball effect, like a pinball machine, right? They can bounce off one and go to the other. And, um, you know, you can start to actually influence comps in the market and rental rates ultimately sometimes. So I think that's a good goal to move toward. And that's another thing to think about. Folks, we got to wrap this up. We've been on for an hour and 10 minutes here. So Drew and my mom, thank you very much for sharing some of this stuff. It's been a just a very casual discussion today. Many of our interviews are much more formal than this, but I really appreciate you sharing this stuff. So thank you and happy investing to all. Good luck, Drew. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.